G'day, and welcome to My Favourite Album. I'm journalist and filmmaker Jeremy Dillon, and each episode I'll be talking to a different guest about an album they love and how it's influenced and inspired them. The world today can be a nasty and scary place, and you'd be forgiven occasionally for wanting to flee from it. Thankfully, my guest today has created her own world that offers a compelling escape. A world full of crunching, slashing guitars, whiz-fizz synths, candy-coated hooks wrapped tight around a voice that embodies a profound yearning, lyrics that demand to be loudly sung back to her by crowds of people who have come together to experience a profound catharsis. To the world she is starting to take over, she is Jack River, rock star, boss bitch, festival impresario, environmental activist. The woman behind all the magic is here with me today. Jack River, aka Holly Rankin, welcome to my favourite album. Oh, thank you so much for having me. That's the coolest intro I've ever heard. There we go. (laughs) So, Holly, what's your favourite album? Well, to preface this, I found it really hard to pick my favourite album and it made me think about what an album is as opposed to singles and songs. There are so many artists I look up to as my kind of top crew, which would be like Tame Impala, Neil Young, even Florence Welsh, Taylor Swift's 1989 was in contention. But yeah, one album that I know every word to within it and I think shaped the way my brain Evolved is Oracular Spectacular by MGMT. So this album came out in 2007. Yes. Tell me your origin story with this record with MGMT. It was the debut album. So like, how did Oracular Spectacular enter your life? Well, I was 16 when this album came out. So probably maybe 15 when the singles started coming out and MGMT came onto the scene. And at the same time, Tame Impala was bubbling up here in Australia. And I guess... I don't know, I'd grown up with a feeling inside me of this world where music and like politics and the environment and I don't know, a weird like psychedelic way of looking at the world could all fit together. And I also, as a kid, felt really passionate about, at well, school, but I mean, politics and culture and, and seeing it differently. and something about MGMT and Tame Impala popping up in the world at the same time and reviving a psychedelic movement in pop because it had been quite straight and quite mainstream feeling, the the music that I had access to, especially in Australia. 
there's always great music out there, but as a, you know, early teen. And these two bands seem to encapsulate that feeling of wanting something different, of like thinking pretty weirdly, but still, you know, making pop music and just something about the world that they imagined really made me feel like, okay, I'm born in the right time and I'm ready to to be, you know, something in that world. Yeah. That is interesting to hear you say that because I feel like this is an error-defining record in a big way, like both in how ubiquitous it was, like I didn't listen to contemporary music in 2007, but I still, I knew all the singles from this record. It was like completely inescapable but also the way it's just sort of like permeated through what music became and it felt like something that everyone was waiting for, even if they wouldn't have been able to express that before it came along. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I was super up to date with what was happening and why MGMT happened, but they, in their lyrics and in the feeling of the music, these songs were like generational anthems and they talk about like the youth is starting to change and they kind of owed to climate change a little bit in I think it's of moons birds and monsters like why'd you cut holes in the face of the moon base don't you care about the temperature change in the cold black shadows so these kind of pretty intelligent ideas and like kind of huge cultural ideas were being put into the coolest weirdest music with a like all their clips also talked of like a utopian world and yeah I think that something about that boldness felt really different to everything else where which is like kind of cool punky UK driven arctic monkeys kind of stuff which is all about the individual really yeah yeah I mean they were kind of anti-rock stars in a way anyway like they the whole thing was kind of conceived originally as sort of a quasi joke and they would play like their friends house parties wearing fake fur coats and stuff and you know even like some of the lyrics on the record speak to that sort of the cliches of what being a rock star was about and as you say like there were people like you know with the arctic monkeys out there who were basically doing a quite straight contemporary like really great but unironic version of what you know they were taking the piss out of yeah 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 and I don't know like it seems from all my stalking over the years and stuff of Andrew and Ben it seems like like I don't know if it was a joke to them or not they obviously struggled with the fame and how their project was taken by the masses and and all the media like seems like they really in some ways despise what happened with this album which I don't know if it's true or not but I just took it really seriously (laughs) as a 16 year old I took the vision really seriously and the words really seriously and that definitely seeded my career intentions as a musician just the feeling that you can put these ideas about society together and you can take the piss and you can do it in your own way. I mean, I'm sure like totally different level, but when people talk about the Beatles or the Doors or bands with a real social awareness about them and and a message that's cultural, like just as much as it is music, like you're struck and you believe in a different world because of that band. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it's funny, I do feel like in some ways you are like, there's so much stuff and they talk about it so often, this like discomfort they have with the idea of becoming rock stars and like becoming famous and the scale things got to. Whereas I feel like you have no discomfort with that at all. Like part of oh, the, I, or, well, okay, well, correct me <laughs> at the end of this yeah, sentence, yeah. but like. Aside from maybe like personal discomfort, I feel like part of the point of the music you're creating is for it to have a certain level of scope and scale and draw people together and all yeah, that. Yeah, true. Thing. No, true. Yeah, and I've always wanted that and I will be building more into that as best I can in my little Australian way. <laughs> I'm definitely not, you know, where MGMT were in 2007 or anything. But, yeah, my passion for building social messages alongside my music is pretty extreme and I'm very keen to always be thinking about how I can I don't know spread a good message yeah Another thing well, that I feel like you have in common with MGMT and this record is how important the videos are as a companion piece to the songs you've put out. Like on the Sugar Mountain record, like I remember when Fool's Gold, that single came out and that video came out and it was such a, it just had this feel of, there was a confidence in how special that was and how much thought there was put into that, having that I hate this phrase, companion visual to yeah, yeah. to the song in a way that like the song is the thing in and of itself, but this video is actually an important thing. It's not just like a random marketing, marketing tool. tool. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that that's another reason why I was thinking about this is one of my favourite albums because they, again, whether it's a joke or not, I don't know, but they presented an album that had such a clear visual companion and there was no holding back and there was no holding back on stage and and in their interviews or anything they really stepped into another world and we believed it and yeah with Jack River I'm crazily passionate about realizing the visual vision as much as the musical vision and trying to let people know what I see when I make this music or the world that I see and it's been so fun to do that on all the videos and in all the shoots and stuff, yeah. Yeah, because I feel like that's a big part of the appeal of your music. And, it, like, you know, you referenced Tame Impala a few times in this conversation. I feel like there's a similar quality that particularly Currents had, at least for me, which is, like, you are disappearing into a separate world when you listen to this music or in the live shows or with the videos. Yeah. There's nothing ordinary or casual yeah. about it it's so deliberate and specific and buffered by certain recurring elements that ties everything together yeah it's so true they've always been my favorite projects in the world I think it's so fun for starters for me to do that I love drawing up a world as soon as I start writing a song I'm making a Pinterest board and <laughs> thinking 
where you know how do I feel in this song what world does it live in what weird visions come up for me because I don't know it's just like so nice to exercise your imagination and I don't know maybe also like the psychedelic drug thing with Tame Impala and MGMT and and the doors and anyone that's created another world there's ties to to that as well which is interesting because I think when you step into another world completely you are more free your human self your everyday self is more free to explore what that song has to offer and I've definitely with Tame and MGMT and The Doors or even Florence or Lana Del Rey when they give you the safety of another world you are what I find myself to be more free and I can grow more as a normal everyday person. Mm, yeah. yeah. Is it opening the doors to perception? Is that the phrase? Yeah. I think Jim Morrison used that a little bit from Aldous Huxley's novel, yeah. The Doors of Perception. Yeah. Because it's funny, I've never done any yeah, kind yeah, of psychedelics, yeah. but I feel like I get a version of that experience from this kind of music. Totally. Yeah. I think, well, yeah, some artists who have done psychedelic drugs and talk about it definitely give you that glimpse into another world where there's different rules or you're more free but again I think say with the Doors or even Bob Dylan and Tame and MGMT and these artists that really illustrate a world I've loved over my life finding the books and the poets and all the little messages that are placed around those worlds for people as well so I don't know. I think if you've got a vision sitting there, you've really got to use it and it means it's going to mean something to someone, you know, in a week or a year or something that it's a clue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's go back to when you were first listening to this record and tell me where your own music was at at that point and how this sort of started to help shape where you went in the intervening years and yes. into making your EP and your album. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I would have been 15 or 16 and I probably just started writing songs and realising that I could, in fact, that anyone can write a song, <laughs> which is something I, I find really interesting that like when you're a kid, you just don't realise that all these perfect pop songs, and even now it's hard to imagine that they were physically written by people because they were delivered in the late 90s, 2000s, so perfect. So anyway, I don't know if that means anything to anyone. But yeah, I guess that my songwriting was probably born at the same time as Tame and MGMT were releasing this kind of music and I would start writing pretty like average 15 year old 16 year old love songs and that's how songs start I think like pretty natural and raw but 
listening to this music made me begin to think about like what else can be put in around this feeling and how can I make it weirder and how can I write something that means something to the world instead of just me. But yeah, so my first EP that I wrote was very political. Like it was very Joni Mitchell meets, (laughs) yeah, MGMT pretty much. So my music's changed a lot. The Jack River music has changed a lot from where I began. So yeah, I wrote a super political like folk acid EP. And then the next one I made after that, these are both unreleased by the way, was like huge anthemic psychedelic attempt at pop. It's like the most dense music that I've ever created. And some people liked it. There's still some songs that I would use today, but it was too massive. So I thought I was, you know, I thought I was MGMT, I think. I thought I was like (laughs) able to release huge sounding pop music, but it just didn't click because my music wasn't being played anywhere on any radio. I didn't know anyone in the music industry, but I created this like fucking crazy massive sounding EP the vision was too big to fit into where I was in my career and in my life and I don't know I felt I just had this huge like confidence that I could just put that music out and people would believe that it do you know what I mean it's kind of weird to talk about it's just a disconnected time and then I went back to the drawing board and went back to more emotion focused like simple emotion songs and Meanwhile, I was hustling to find the right manager and actually, you know, get music out. And they were the songs that started to connect. So I abandoned that dream a little bit of releasing this like world-changing society-driven music. Well, but maybe deferred the dream. (laughs) Deferred, yeah. (laughs) There's still plans in there for album three. But I took that feeling and applied it to production and took the passion of what I wanted to do in the beginning when I was, yeah, 20, 18, whatever. And I applied it to like the production of Fault Line. That was probably one of the first songs where I really thought I want this to sound so big, but I want it to be an emotional song that's relatable, not about war or something. (laughs) Yeah, so that and then Fool's Gold as well was one of the first songs where I you know it's a pretty emotional I don't know natural song lyric and melody wise but I put this like big feeling into the production and tried to express that so that's kind of like the MGMT thing just made me believe that you can bring really far out other worlds into music and I'm still figuring out the balance of that and I want to keep experimenting and I will with bringing that weirder big crazy universe feeling into my music and yeah I don't know god is that a big rant does it make sense to you yeah no that's great that just like it's the whole arc yeah or at least so far yeah so far and I've got kind of the next EP planned and the album after that and I've got this weird kind of long-term vision of how I bring that feeling back so this is secretly me announcing that I'm gonna get weird no (laughs) Actually, this is a completely unrelated side question that I've just was thinking about in the last few days. If you were to like do some like a side project, like you form the Australian Travelling Woolbreeze with 
Izzy Man Freddy and like some other people. I don't know. Yeah. Would you be Jack River in that or would you be Holly Rankin? I don't know. Probably. I don't know. It's Identity Crisis 101. But maybe Jack River. I feel like, you know, I've struggled to be comfortable with Jack River, but it's kind of awesome because I don't know who she is exactly. And it's like always going to feel weird, which is a good thing, I think. Like it just makes you think outside the box and think, who do people think that that is? And who do I think it is? And I don't know. It's confused. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think everyone who makes music has a version of that. It's just not always so codified by giving, like, remember Garth would talk about, like, the version of him on stage was GB, which at the time I think everyone just thought was like a huge wank. But I think it makes a lot of sense because that person on stage can't be all of who you are. Yeah. It has to be some kind of version of yourself that can do that thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that, I don't know, I love Jack River and what she represents to me. So she would probably go do something weird with Izzy or someone. But yeah, when like Miley Cyrus did that Beatles album with the flaming lips, I was like, I want to be doing that. That's my dream, Miley. That's what I wanted to do. Why are you doing it? (laughs) Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know that album. I know that album. I have mixed feelings about And then there's the... (laughs) she on the dark side of the moon one as well? I can't remember. I don't know. But, I, okay, maybe it's not the best album, but, like, the whole idea of Miley bringing her thing into Flaming Lips World, that's just really fun. Wait, are you Miley or are you the Flaming Lips in this analogy? Well, I don't know, but I guess I'm jealous of Miley. Yeah, I love her. I, I think that what she's doing as a human on the planet is just really great and she's got fucking incredible vision and she's chipping away at it in a really fun and weird way don't you think yeah and i think just especially for anyone who's like a second generation pop star is as a broad category of thing is to <laughs> yeah. be like that good and that i don't know if she actually is well adjusted but just like seems to have like a good handle on herself mm. and everything and that smart and everything is just that in itself is a real achievement yeah aside and from the music just being really interesting and good her ability to boldly change throughout her career from hannah montana to wrecking ball to happy hippie foundation and she's just boldly changed a lot and people try and do that and try and make it look like they've changed or whatever but I truly believe she's changing and letting us all know about it (laughs) yes she's changing to quasi quote someone else we were talking about before (laughs) yes true Kev
So, MGMT, you've met Andrew Van Weingarten, am I right? Yeah, yes. There? I've met him a couple of times. I, met I should him. say that he's one of the two. The MGMT, for people who don't know, is a duo, and he is one of the two people. Yep, yep. So, yeah, I met him probably as like a mega fan at an after party before I'd released music or anything. Just somehow swindled my way into this MGMT after party in Byron. And I thought that was pretty cool at the time. Very cool, in fact. And then we both made music for this project called Spirit of Akasha, which was a rebirth of the Morning of the Earth film and Warner happened to own the rights of the film so they yeah created this second coming and it was made by a filmmaker Andrew Kidman it's a really incredible album if you're listening so he got like Andrew oh god Brian from the Beach Boys Angus Stone Matt Corby Group Love uh I don't know who else but it's a pretty impressive kind of crew to all create originals for this soundtrack and they needed another female musician to make it more balanced and I'd sent through a song so that was like the first song ever that got released of mine which was kind of cool but yeah I was very excited that Andy was on the <laughs> on the album too and I guess I don't know I met him a couple of times in New York as well but it doesn't really relate to my musical fandom I think it's pretty weird when you meet people that have created albums that mean a lot to you it doesn't make sense and it's awkward because you've got a lot of feelings inside you that relate to the music not the person and I don't know like I don't feel very related to my music when people come up to me and froth out I'm like I, I don't feel like I wrote it it's like it lives up there so and I guess also there's like a degree of which people like there's the actual music and then this sort of follow on thing that people have mixed in inside themselves with all their own feelings. The and crowd's dreaming. Yeah. And, yeah. That you have no like connection to or insight into. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if he thinks I'm a weirdo or normal. I guess I have to ask him one day. <laughs> if I ever get him on the podcast, I will ask him, do you think Holly Rankin is a weirdo? <laughs> Yeah. My first question. I'll um, tell him that I've openly said I think maybe he thinks I'm weirdo. But yeah, I don't know. I think that it's pretty special what happens with great albums and great songs that the crowd, the masses dream up. Like we put so much into the vision of what artists become. And I think it's such a fascinating human experience that what any artist has, they're following. Like we think of so much weird shit that they never intended us to think but where is that feeling and where does it come from like is there a crazy you know sci-fi like world of wavelengths out there that we're tapping into and making albums feel far bigger than their creators ever intended them to feel is that like next level talk oh yeah but not not in a bad way yeah, at all. yeah. i just find it amazing it's weird because i'm experiencing it with my music on a small level just people tapping into what you've created or even playing to like the crowds at Grooven or Splendor or Florence when there's like 10,000 people singing words back at you just like what the fuck is going on yeah I didn't do that you know something else did that well sort of but it really was you yeah <laughs> I don't know you were a child crawling on your knees toward it. 
So when you go back now, 12 years on from yeah. this record coming out and listen to it, what is it like to put on Oracular Spectacular and give it a spin these days for you? I think it's still, like, why I love it is it's so freeing. The music never gets old to me and it's so, like, directly linked with my spirit or whatever's driven me to do music and start Grow Your Own and Electric Lady and believe in creating my own little world of things. That album brings that out in me, like the belief in something bigger and creating something bigger. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Holly, thanks for talking to me today about your favourite album. <laughs> thanks, Jeremy. Sorry if I tripped out a bit. No, I, this is the closest I get to tripping, so it's been great. <laughs> You're a very good boy. Stay a good boy. <laughs> I'm just, I've limited my vices to caffeine and alcohol, I think. That's so. enough. Yeah, That's more enough. than enough for And me. music, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that's less self-destructive, although not always. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Got to be careful with albums. That's it for another episode of My Favourite Album. Thanks for listening. I've been Jeremy Dillon. You can follow me at Mr. Jeremy Dillon. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash myfavouritealbum. Subscribe on iTunes. And if you dig the show, please leave a review. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. My Favourite Album is a production of House Red Media. It's edited by Ellie Willoughby and produced by George Mooney and myself, Jeremy Dillon. <laughs>